You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Psalm 77. We are studying together uh, on Wednesday nights the great doctrines of our faith and their relevance for our lives. So this this the goal is that this is more than just kind of a dry doctrinal series. I don't want to feel like a seminary classroom. I want to feel like um, us growing our knowledge of who God is and how God works so that we can grow in our walk with Him and our trust in Him. In other words, these great doctrines have relevance for our lives. And just to kind of illustrate how important doctrine is, you know, truth uh, that comes from the Scriptures, I uh, just want to uh, share a story with you. I read a, an article, this has been years ago, but I read it probably four years ago. I read an article that made my blood boil. Have you ever read an article that makes your blood boil? I read an article that made my blood boil, and the the article was about um, the growth of of bars, uh, places where people meet and drink, all right, that kind of bar, uh, bars in the Northeast. And the article was about how bars are going into churches that have closed their doors and are making those their places of business. And there's so many churches going out of business in the Northeast, I mean, churches dying, that that they're reopening as bars. And that just made my blood boil. I mean, how sad that a church is dying and, and, and bars are proliferating in those buildings, in those facilities. And uh, it just it just it just frustrated me. It just made my blood boil. But here's the question: Why why are those churches dying in the Northeast? Why are their churches dying in the South? Why are their churches dying in North America? Most of it can be traced back to churches walking away from doctrinal truth. They began to deny key doctrines of the faith, and before you know it. They go down, 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 and then they are closing their doors. And, and so th- this, this doctrinal emphasis is very, very, very important that we hold the line. In fact, this is over in Jude that we are contend for the faith, the faith that has been once delivered to the saints. We're to contend and stand for that body of truth that we call Christianity. And so that's what we're studying uh, these these different doctrines. And we began with the doctrine of revelation that God has uh, spoken. And, and we certainly are, are grateful that He's spoken to us. We can know who He is and what He's like. And building on the doctrine of revelation, we began to talk about the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God. And, and there are two ways or two headings to talk about God. Uh, the first heading is God's nature, what He's like, His attributes, if you will. And the other is, uh, the other heading is his works. What does God do? And so right now we're talking about his nature. What is God like? The attributes of God. And let me just preface our time tonight by saying this. 
There is nothing, nothing that you and I can study more important than God. Can I get an amen? amen? Nothing. I mean, this is the loftiest reality that we can study. We're talking about God. And so we, we want to talk about His attributes. Now, if you remember, uh, last time we were together, we talked about different two different types of God's attributes. We talked about uh, incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Some theologians call it quotient attributes and um, active attributes, but th there's different ways that those are categorized. But I like the, the categories of incommunicable and communicable. And here's what theologians mean by that. There's some attributes of God that we can we can live out in a somewhat limited way. You know, we're not God, so we won't live them out perfectly. But for example, God is love, and we are able to love. Right? Not perfectly, but we are able to love. God is patient, and... <laughs> well, let me think of another one. God is patient, and we can grow in patience. Right? God is merciful, we can show mercy. And so, communicable is the word we give to viruses, right? Like, if I have a virus, it's communicable, I can spread it to someone else. The attributes of God that are communicable can be shared by us. Again, not perfectly, but we can, we can reflect these attributes in our day-to-day -day life. Incommunicable attributes are attributes that are, that, are, that are God's alone, that can't be shared with us. For example, uh, omnipotence. He's all-powerful, we're not, right? And, and we're never going to be all-powerful. We can't reflect that attribute. It's, it's incommunicable. It can't be shared with us. There's, there's nothing analogous uh, to that attribute in our lives. So we've been talking about the incommunicable attributes of God. Now next week we'll begin talking about the communicable attributes of God. The things that we can reflect in some way, shape, or form. But when we talked about the incommunicable attributes of God a couple weeks ago, we said that God is triune. We talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. We talked about the fact that God is eternal, no ending, no beginning. And we talked about the reality that God is self-existent. Uh, he, he doesn't need anything to exist. Uh, he simply exists. And, and the created order meets Him. And so we talked about God's self-existence. But I'm going to give you uh, six more incommunicable attributes of God um, for us to consider tonight. Look at some scripture to see that these these attributes, that the nature of God is grounded in the Word of God. So, the next one is this. God is holy. That's the next blank on your sheet. God is holy. Uh, look with me. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Verse 13. Psalm 77. Verse 13. Your way... Psalm of Asaph, your way, O God, is what? What's the word there? Holy. Your way is holy. What God is great like our God. And then the really famous passage about the holiness of God is Isaiah chapter 6. Turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Love this passage. One of my favorites. I'm just going to introduce you to the passage. I'm not going to preach the passage tonight. Okay? Because we have no more time left if I preach this passage. So, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. You understand that in ancient times, when a king died, it was a time of great unrest and uncertainty because who's going to be the next king? Is there going to be a coup? Is there, is there going to be rivalry between the descendants of the king? Is, is a foreign nation going to come and invade us during this time of uncertainty? And, it, and, and when the king died, it was a time of, of, of worry among the people, the subjects of the kingdom. But I love how the Lord appears to Isaiah, and what does he see? He sees the Lord sitting on what? A throne. As if to say, I know King Uzziah is dead, but the king of kings is still on his throne. Isn't that good? But I'm not preaching it. I'm just, I'm just pointing that out. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up the train of his robe to the temple. Above us to the seraphim. These are angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said. So, he's, so Isaiah is seeing this vision of heaven, what's happening in heaven. And look at what the seraphim are crying out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the only attribute of God that you'll see repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. In other words, you, you never see the Bible saying God is love, 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 or God is mercy, 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 or God is grace, 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 or God is powerful, powerful, powerful. You see it said God is holy, holy, holy. This is a, a big, big deal. And it says the foundations of the threshold shook at the voices of the call, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so Isaiah is in the presence of the Holy Lord, seated on his throne. And what does he feel? He feels his own sinfulness. He feels his own um, his own iniquity. He says, "I am undone. I have unclean lips. I don't. I don't deserve to be in the presence of this." holy king. And so what does it mean that God is holy, holy, holy? Well, look there in your notes. It means that God is a God of absolute moral perfection. Absolute moral perfection. God always does the right thing. God always says the right thing. God always thinks the right thing. God always does Right, Absolute moral perfection. 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Habakkuk 1, 13 says that, that God is so pure, so pure, that His eyes cannot even look upon sin. And so that's an amazing reality that our God is that holy, that pure. He is light. And so the word holy speaks, first of all, of, of moral perfection. God's a God of moral perfection. But secondly, it also speaks of the idea of otherness. If you look there in your notes, it means that God is wholly other. See, that doesn't make sense. Well, here's what I mean by that. It means that God, the word holy basically means set apart. So it means that God is completely set apart from us. Completely set apart from us. For example, Isaiah 55, 9 says that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's God. We're not, right? He 
He is other. He is separate from creation, separate from humanity. He is a God who is wholly other. And so what does that mean for you and for me, that, that God is holy? Well, first of all, I didn't put this in your notes, but jot this down under God is holy other. First of all, it means we should take him seriously. We should take God seriously. God is holy. He's not to be trifled with. When God speaks, we ought to listen to what he says. We ought to respond to what he says because God is holy. For example, there's a story over in um, the, the book of 2 Samuel where David is overseeing moving the Ark of the Covenant from Kiriath-Jerim uh, into uh, Jerusalem, into the capital city. And they have it on this cart, and they're, they're moving it. And God, earlier in the Old Testament, gives very specific instructions as to how to move the Ark. He says, listen, there are these, there are these uh, rings on the side of the Ark, and poles go through the rings, and then priests are to put the poles over their shoulder and carry the Ark of the Covenant that way. No one is supposed to touch it. Well, the 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 ox cart goes over a bump in the road, and and the, the, the weight of the ark shifts, and it begins to slide, and a man named Uzzah puts out his hand to simply steady the ark, to keep it from falling. You know what happens? God strikes him dead. Wow. And you read that thing. You know, that's not hard to understand, but it's kind of hard to swallow, right? I mean, Uzzah's just trying to keep the ark from falling. But when God speaks, He means it. And it's interesting, the next time you see them moving the ark, man, they're priests and poles and they're doing it right. They're doing it the way God told them to do it. Uh, again, the ark represents the presence of God and His holy uh, character and nature. And so it was a big deal to touch the ark. I don't care what's on Indiana Jones, right? You don't touch the ark. Alright? You don't, you don't do that. And, 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 and they did. So, so you take God seriously. When God speaks, you take Him seriously. He is a God of, of perfection. And, and He is a God who is other. But the second, the second thought that you and I ought to have when we think about God's holiness is we ought to marvel at His grace. We ought to marvel at His grace. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And then God symbolically in this vision shows Isaiah that God has provided purification. God has provided forgiveness. He has an angel with tongs take a, take a burning coal from the altar, and, and the, the burning coal touches the lips of Isaiah. Fire purifies. If you put fire to something, it will burn out impurities. And this was a symbolic way for God to say, Yes, you are in the presence of holiness. You are in the presence of absolute moral perfection. But in my grace, I've made a way for you to be in my presence. I've made a way of purification, which, of course, pointed to Jesus, who came and died on the cross and shed his blood so our sins could be washed away and we could come into the very presence of God, right? And so not only should we take God seriously when we think about his holiness, we should marvel at his grace. That this holy God has made a way for our sins to be forgiven, our sins to be washed away, so we can know Him, so we can experience Him, so we can go to heaven and be in His very presence. Marvel at His grace. But the second uh, 
attribute I want to talk to you about tonight is this. God is omniscient. God is holy. God is omniscient. Now we're going to do the three omnis. The three omnis, all right? And these always usually are shared together. They all start with that, that same prefix. God is omniscient. What does that mean? Omniscient. O-M-N-I. O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T. Omniscient. Turn to Psalm 139. And we're going to read a passage and I'll, I'll give a definition of, of the omniscience of God. Psalm 139. Psalm of David, verse 1. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar off. Now think about that. And as you're thinking about it, know that God knows what you're thinking about it. God knows what you're thinking. He doesn't know where, he don't, not only knows where you are, he does. He knows when you get up and sit down. He knows what you're thinking. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. Lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Then in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So what is David saying? He's saying that God is everywhere. He knows all about you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the words uh, that are coming from your mouth even before you speak them. And this God is so present everywhere that you cannot escape Him. You cannot run from Him. You cannot avoid Him. A lot of people are trying, but they are trying unsuccessfully. You can't run from God. Just ask Jonah. Right? He thought, if I go in the opposite direction where God told me to go, if I go to the very bottom of the boat, surely God won't know I'm there. But of course, God knew He was there. God is uh, God is uh, omnipresent. But we're talking about God's omniscience here. And it says, and here's the definition. God knows everything about everything and everyone all the time. God knows everything about everything and everyone all the time. Think about that. That kind of knowledge is incredible. Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 15.3 says this. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the Good And so God is omniscient. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the words that are coming out of your mouth before they come out of your mouth. God knows everything about everything and everyone all the time. And here's something very important to understand about the knowledge of God. God is not growing in knowledge. God is not acquiring knowledge. God has all knowledge perfectly at His disposal. It is inherent in Him. That's, a, that's a, a key thing to understand. God, God's not searching for knowledge. He knows it all from beginning to end. He sees it all from beginning to end. God is omniscient. And so what does that mean for you and for me? Because, again, we want to think about these doctrines and their relevance for our lives. Here's what it means. Live accountable 
and trust in His ways. Live accountable and trust in His ways. I remember where I was when I first learned this doctrine that God sees everything that I do. I was in Sunday school at Burton Baptist Church. I think it was my, I think I was in fourth grade, third or fourth grade, and my teacher was teaching about this, and she said that God knows everything we do, sees everything that we do, and I, that had never occurred to me before. And I remember thinking, kind of looking up like, hmm, wow, that's a game changer. And if that's true, that's a game changer, right? But how often do you and I put that idea out of our minds and just live as if God does not see and think as if God does not know and speak as if God does not hear? God is omniscient. Live accountable. Live as if, if, if God is right there beside you because He is, right? And there's everything going on. And then trust His ways. Trust His ways. God's not trying to figure things out. He knows everything. You can trust what He's doing. You trust how He's working. God has all knowledge. Secondly, God is second omni. God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Look over in Psalm 62, verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11. Another Psalm of David, he says, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Again, not that God is acquiring power, not that He's, he's growing in power, He just has it. It belongs to Him. It is inherent in he, who He is. God has all power. And then look over right before the book of Psalms, the book of Job, the end of the book of Job, Job 42. As God reveals Himself to Job at the end of His suffering, Job 42, verse 1, this is after God had spoken to Job, and, and, and God basically says to Job, where were you when I created the universe? And don't you understand, I'm sustaining it all too. Who are you, Job, to question me? And look what Job says in verse 2. I know that you can do what? All things. And here's the key phrase, and we'll get to this in a moment. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, now watch this. Here's how these go together. God is all-knowing, so He knows the right thing to do. And he's all powerful, so he can flat get it done. Right? If he were all knowing but not all powerful, then we'd be in trouble. If he were all powerful but not all knowing, we'd be in trouble. But aren't you glad that our God knows everything and also has the power to perform what he knows to do that is best? He is omnipotent. So if you look there in your notes, it means that God possesses complete power and strength. Nothing is impossible with God. And that third little phrase there comes from a song we sang recently. I just really was blessed by a song we sang recently called, The Battle Belongs to Our God. We sang it in church a couple Sundays. And there's a line in that song, and every time I sang it, man, my heart just was thrilled. The line says, He wins every battle. Aren't you glad that our God wins every battle? 
He wins every battle. And, and, and why? Because he's all-powerful. He brings perfect, complete power to bear on his plans and purposes, and that cannot be thwarted because God is uh, omnipotent. And the third omni is God is omnipresent. We talked about this a little bit with Psalm 139. That means that God is present in all places. God is present in all places. Jeremiah 23, 24. The Bible says this. Let me read it for you. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. He says, Am I a God at hand? Verse 23, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So God here is speaking of his omnipresence. He's present in all places. You cannot run from God. You cannot hide from God. There's nowhere that God is not. He's not creation. He's outside of creation, but he is everywhere in creation. He is he is omnipresent. God is present in all places. Um, I'll tell you one time this really came home to me. And I, again, we're thinking practically. Okay, what does this matter for my life? Right? How does the omnipresence of God help us on Thursday? Right? Well, what's, what's the deal here? Okay? Why, why do we need to think about the omnipresence of God? Uh, years ago, I was on a mission trip, short-term mission trip. And I won't tell you the this didn't record. I won't tell you where we were, but we were in a basically a third world country that was ruled by a military dictatorship. And let me just tell you, it was uncomfortable. Like you come into the airport and there's signs saying if you have certain things in your luggage, the, the penalty is death. And and you're walking on tarmacs and there are soldiers there with machine guns. You get on a plane and there's a soldier sitting in the middle of your group trying to get information. And you get off the plane, and there are more machine guns. And I, I remember we got, the, the first day we kind of got to where we were going to go and stay. And I was just feeling a little uncomfortable. I really was. I mean, I was on the other side of the world, um, you know, unreachable by people that I knew and loved here. And, and I just felt this uncomfortable feeling. And I remember I, I went down, and there's this little little open area down from where we were staying. And I, and I went down, and I had my Bible, and, and I was just, reason scripture. Now I remember being comforted in the, that moment that God was there. God was with me. I wasn't by myself. God was with me in the middle of that moment. And that took away my concern and my angst and, and, and gave me courage just to know that I'm on the other side of the world, but hey, God's there too, right? Aren't you ladies not just the God who stays in America? Right? He's everywhere. And, and, and he was there with me in that moment. It really gave me strength and it really gave me comfort. Remember, no matter what you face tomorrow or in the coming week or the coming month, coming year, God is there. Right? He's there. He's right there um, with you. And let me tell you another thing it taught me about missions, the omnipresence of God. When I go on a mission trip, I'm not bringing God with me. God's already at work. I'm just joining him in his work. Amen? Sometimes we can have this kind of mentality when we go on a mission trip that, you know, here, here I am. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not bringing God with me. God is already there, working. And I'm just seeing where God's at work and joining Him in His activity. So, God is omnipresent. Uh, be grateful. This is in your notes. Be grateful that your God has no limitations. No limitations. The other night, you know, I got tons of kids. I just got a lot of kids. And uh, and uh, feels like that sometimes. 
And I was I was at a sporting event with one kid, and my other kid was at a sporting event, and I wanted to be there because it was that kid's first night of the season, but I had to be in this other place too because we, and Claire was with one, I was with the other, and I was having Claire send me videos so I could watch the video, and and uh, and and, it, and I just remember being frustrated, and I was frustrated that I couldn't be two places at once. I just felt it. I was like, man, I just you know I want to be there, I want to be here, I can't, but I can't. They're just, I just, this is beyond me. I'm, I'm limited. Aren't you glad God's never like that? God's not afraid. So like when 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 I when I'm praying. You know, tomorrow morning, and Kelly Stanford's praying tomorrow morning. God said, "Oh, I'm going to listen to Kelly. I wish I could listen to Wade too." <laughs> Man, he can, isn't it cool that God can be there with Kelly, receiving her prayers, and be there with me, receiving my prayers? God is omnipresent. This is a big deal, isn't it? God, God is not limited. Now that leads to the next truth or attribute of God, this all builds, alright? The, the omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence of God all leads to this next one. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Which simply means God is in complete control of everything. Uh, look over at Daniel chapter 4. Book of Daniel chapter 4, Old Testament book. When uh, Daniel was written, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was the most powerful man of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. I mean, the Babylonians were, were a mighty people, and Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty king and wealthy and had great military victories. And uh, there, there's a moment in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. He's walking around in Babylon. He's looking at the beautiful buildings and the gardens. And, and, and he begins to think, look at what I have done. I mean, look at what I have done. You know what God does? God basically makes Nebuchadnezzar lose his mind. And next thing you know, Nebuchadnezzar is out in the, the wilderness crawling around like a beast, letting his fingernails grow long, his hair grow long, and he's eating grass. You think God humbled Nebuchadnezzar? As if to say, Nebuchadnezzar, you think you do this, Nebuchadnezzar? Let me just humble you and show you who the true king is. So after Nebuchadnezzar's humbled, God brings back his, his right mind. Man, look at how Nebuchadnezzar changes. Look at uh, Daniel 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now look what he says next. For his dominion is what? An everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar. The, the king, the mightiest king on the earth says, I'm nothing. He's the king. He's the king of kings. And, and turn to Psalm 93. Psalm 93. This idea that God is sovereign. Psalm 93 verse 1.
The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And so here's what the psalmist is saying. God reigns. He's on his throne. He's in control. And it's been that way forever. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord reigns. The Lord is sovereign. God is in complete control of everything. Complete control of everything. One theologian said there's not a rogue molecule in the universe. God's in control. God is sovereign. Why? Because he knows the right thing to do. He's omniscient. He has the power to do it. He's omnipotent. And he is everywhere, so he can accomplish his purpose everywhere he wants to accomplish it. This all speaks of the sovereignty of God. He's complete control of everything. If he were not omnipresent, if he were not omnipotent, if he were not omniscient, he could not be sovereign. He could not be in control. But he is. So what does that mean for you and for me? How does the, the, the sovereignty of God, how does that affect our day-to-day -day living? Here it is. You ready? Rest in His sovereign plan. Rest in His sovereign plan. I love Psalm 2. It talks about the nations raging against God and joining in alliances against God. You know what it says about the Lord as He sees these nations lining up to oppose Him? The Bible says that He who is in the heavens laughs. He's not threatened. Let me tell you something about God. You ready? God is not perplexed by what's going on in our world. God is not frustrated. He's not been stymied. He's not wondering what to do. He hasn't messed up and thought, oops. God is calling the shots. And God is working everything together for His ultimate purpose in a way, and this is important, in a way that He gets ultimate glory. So when it's all said and done, and the dust of human history settles, we will see the wisdom and power of God on display, and we will see just how glorious He is by how He brought it all to a conclusion. God is sovereign. Rest in His sovereign plan. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the, the uh, late 1800s. He said that the sovereignty of God is like a soft pillow that you can lay your head on at night. In other words, you can sleep and leave the whole world in His hands. Amen? He's sovereign. He is in control. Now this brings up lots of questions that we can spend weeks on about the sovereignty of God and how this plays out when it comes to evangelism and prayer and decision making. And there's so much, there's so much here that, that we need to talk about. But just for tonight's purposes, understand that God is sovereign. God is in control. We can, we can rest in His sovereign plan. This believes God, this means that God either causes or allows everything. If He causes it or allows it, He, he does it for a purpose. And that, listen, that includes your individual life. That means, listen, this is important. 
Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it or causes it. And if he allows it or causes it, he has a purpose behind it. And Romans 8, 28 says, if you belong to him, it's ultimately for your good. So you can't lose. God is sovereign. I can say so much more about that. Let's go to the next one. Last one for tonight. This is one of my favorites. It really is. And, and this is important because if it wasn't for this one, the, the ones we just studied would, would, would be up in the air a little bit. Here's what I mean by that. God is immutable. I-M-M, immutable. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E. Which simply means God does not change. That's what it means. Immutable. The immutability of God. The reason I use that word is not to show you throw a big word out there, but you may come across this word as you read different books or uh, different theologies or commentaries. The word immutable means God does not change. Look at the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter speaking through Malachi to the people of God, nation of Israel. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is immutable. God does not change. Now, now think about pagan gods. Think, think about like the, the Greco-Roman gods. You know, Zeus and, and, and you know, the, the, the pantheon of gods that, that the pagans would worship in, in the first century and other times. Their thought of their god was that, that, that the gods we serve and worship are capricious. They can change on a whim. They're good one day, angry the next. You know, they're, they're honest one day and and devious the next. And, and if you read the, the whole stories of the different Greek gods or the different Roman gods, their thoughts of God of gods were they're they're very they, they change. And you, you don't know which God you're dealing with. You don't know which God you're going to get or how they're going to act when you when you confront them. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who does not change. He's not capricious. We don't, we don't deal with God dealing with whims. We deal with God who is the same every time we encounter Him. Here's what that means. If God is holy yesterday, He's holy today, and He'll be holy tomorrow. Amen? If God is love yesterday, God is love today, He's going to be love tomorrow. And on and on and on we could go. Aren't you glad that, that you can... The, the reason we sing songs like... Great is our faithfulness because God doesn't change. We can count on Him because He does not change. If you look there in your notes, the God you trusted yesterday and the God you trust today is the God you can trust tomorrow. And, and let me even take it a step further than that. And this is this is kind of where I almost get on shouting ground, but I'm, but I'm not preaching, I'm just teaching. Oh, this is good. 
the God that you experience, that you walk with, that you talk with, that you know personally through Jesus Christ, will be the same for your kids. The same for your grandkids. They can count on Him the way, same way you counted on Him. They can walk with Him the same way you walked with Him. They can, they can be loved by Him the same way you were loved by Him. They can experience God the same way you did. Why? He does not change. I don't say to my kids, hey, God's been really good to me. I'm not real sure about you. Hopefully He'll come through for you. I don't know. No, I can say God's been good to me. And listen, He'll be good to you. Serve Him, worship Him, love Him, fear Him, obey Him. He'll be good to you. Why? God is immutable. God does not change. It says over in James 1.17, I love it, and we sing it in Great Thy Faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with God. There's not even a, a, a hint of God changing in His character and His nature. God is immutable. So these are incommunicable attributes of God. There's more we could say, more we could share, but we're going to start with that tonight. And, and, and next week we're going to talk about some communicable attributes of God, things that, that, that God possesses, attributes God possesses that, that we can reflect in, a, in an imperfect form, but we can reflect. They can be passed on to us um, if you uh, will. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.